from Las Vegas. You're listening to Verve Church for people who don't like church. Thanks for tuning in. We are in a series called Greater. Uh, If you haven't been here the last two weeks and missed it, uh, we have announced that we are becoming a campus of the crossing. Uh, They are an awesome church. In fact, they were a huge part of us getting started 13 years ago and have been a support to us all the way through. And now as we faced and looked forward to some challenges, uh, we realized that uh, we were stronger together, that, that combining forces uh, was the best future for us. So we have one more week as Verve, and then we'll transition into the crossing. Still be in the same building. Uh, you'll show up, you'll still see your same friends, your same family, but we'll have a new name on the front door and a new awesome pastor. Uh, so this is our next to last day as Verve, and one of the things we've done over the years are top ten lists. Uh, kind of silly, but we've had fun with them. Uh, you know, like the, the top 10 words I never thought we'd use in a sermon series title. Number two, goiter. Uh, top 10 things uh, that uh, surprise God. Number four, even he wonders why it's so cold at Vert. Things like that. So... <laughs> We, we write these top 10 lists, and what we'll do is we'll write 11 or 12, and then we'll kind of talk about it, and we'll pick the best 10 to share with you, which means there's always one or two left over, and we just kind of put those aside, and we, we always assumed, well, we'll just get those into other top 10 lists along the way, but here we are, no more opportunities, and so we're, we're like, what do we do with the leftovers? And so we thought, well, what if we just put them together into one top 10? 10 list. Do you guys want to hear the top 10 leftover top 10 items? All right. So I don't think this is going to make any sense. I mean, each of them did in context, but these are totally without context. And so I don't, I don't know if this is going to work, but we'll try it. You ready? Top 10 leftover top 10 items. Number 10, due to ongoing litigation, we cannot confirm people were left in Mexico after Verve's mission trip. We never saw them again, did we? No. Number nine, I caught Margaret chewing on my car's brake line again. (laughs) Top 10 leftover, top 10 items. Number eight, can you believe they're talking about bringing an NHL team to Vegas? No way that'll ever work. (laughs) Number seven, Vince attributes his intelligence to eating nothing but Fritos. That's true, that's true. Number six, you mean I get all these funk classics on just one compact disc? Number five, be sure to have your pastor spayed or neutered. I wonder where that was in. Number four, Vince did a Dave Matthews impression the entire sermon. A little baby. I still got it. Number three, why is Jacob in my bathtub? Number two, guess we know verve rhymes with perv. And the number one leftover top ten items, no, I said it's fartastic. There they are, the top ten leftover top ten items. Now we're done. All right. Hey, so we're going through this transition, and uh, transitions are always difficult, right? They're, They're challenging. Change is hard. You like what you've known. There's fear about the future, but transition is inevitable, right? I mean... 
Here's something you may never have thought of. There are a bunch of churches, bunch mentioned in the Bible. None of those churches exist anymore. All right, every church, like a person, has a life cycle. And uh, same with within churches, pastors are not the pastor forever. Pastors move on, retire, die, transition is inevitable. Uh, and it's hard and it's scary, but it can also be good. In fact, it should be good. Uh, that's why we're calling this series Greater, because we believe that what's coming is greater. Uh, we actually see transitions throughout the Bible, and it's interesting that in almost every case, it goes from great to greater. Uh, like King David is the king of Israel. Everyone loves David. He's a great king. It, it couldn't be any better than this. And everybody wants a temple to worship God in, including David. But it's not until after David dies and there's a transition to the next leader, Solomon, that the temple is finally built greater. So in our series, we're looking at three transitions in the Bible, big ones. And last week, we saw the transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua. Today, from Elijah to Elisha. Why are their names so similar? I don't know. It'd be like if we transitioned verb from Vince to Vimps. Be a lot like that. Wouldn't be kind of weird, right? But that's the way it is. All right, so um, who are Elijah and Elisha? Well, they were prophets. Uh, this is back hundreds of years before Jesus comes and at a time when they didn't have the Bible. So God could not speak to people through the Bible like he does today. And so what he would do was uh, he would choose a prophet. And he would um, be, give this person uh, the authority to share his message with his people. Often, the prophet would be given the ability to do miracles as a kind of validation that, yes, this person's truly chosen by God. This person truly is sharing the word of God. So Elijah comes on the scene uh, when he confronts the evil king Ahab. Uh, and he, Elijah tells the king that because of all the wickedness in the land, uh, there is going to happen a drought. And it, it, he says, it's not going to rain. And it doesn't. For three years, there's a drought. Uh, during that time, Elijah is constantly on the run because the king blames Elijah and wants to kill him. During this time, uh, Elijah also does miracles. He, he does all kinds of incredible things for God. Uh, and then Elijah comes out of hiding. He has this great, amazing confrontation with hundreds of false prophets of a false god. Elijah has this incredible victory. It's awesome. But it makes him even more of a target for the king who still wants to kill him. And so Elijah goes back on the run for his life, and it leads him to depression. In fact, we see in the Bible Elijah uh, saying, God, I just want to die. And then God meets with him. It's this, it's this uh, incredible moment, so tender. God shows up for Elijah and in, in a, like a physical kind of way, and he whispers to Elijah. He whispers to him. Um, and, it, and it rejuvenates Elijah. But at the same time, I think it's just time. Elijah's been through a lot, and it's time for a transition. And so in this moment, when God whispers to Elijah, uh, God says to him, Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Man, I, um, 
I can relate in a lot of ways to Elijah. I've been uh, in ministry now for 29 years, 14 here in Las Vegas at Verve. Um, I've been been through a lot of victories that I am so grateful for and I I guess proud of. And uh, a lot of times that have been so hard, all I wanted to do was quit. But I didn't. I just kept going. Um, But lately, God's been showing us that it's time for a transition. Honestly, that's a painful thought for me uh, because I I love being your pastor of this church. I I know how much I'm going to miss it. I know how much I'm going to miss you. Uh, And I really don't want to let you down. But God keeps reminding me that transition is inevitable. It's not a question of if I'm going to leave. It's just when am I going to leave. And, and uh, if I didn't now, it would probably be sooner than later. And I know that what God has for Verve in you is greater. I mean, Elijah seemed like Superman. And all the Israelites were like, he's the one who speaks to God for us. He's won us these incredible victories. Like, who else could possibly lead us? We can't go on without Elijah. They they thought there was no answer to that question of who could lead us, but there was. Elisha. And what I want to do is I want to jump forward to the moment when the transition happens. And I want you to check out um, what Elisha asked for. It says, after they had reached the other side, and we'll see what the other side means in a minute, Elijah said, Elisha, the Lord will soon take me away. What can I do for you before that happens? Elisha answered, please give me twice as much of your power. Elijah, Elisha asked for double. Why? Because double is always better, right? Do you want a burger or do you want a double burger? Double. Do you want an order of bacon or do you want a double order of bacon? Right? Do you want your paycheck or do you want a bonus of double pay? Double, right? Double is always better. Elisha asked for double and he gets it. Like, Elijah's ministry is amazing. Um, By some counts, we see Elijah doing 14 miracles in the Bible. Elijah has a more amazing ministry, and we see him doing 28 miracles in the Bible. He literally got double. And it's going to be greater here for us. We're just not there yet. Like, we're, we're in transition. Transitions are hard. What I want to do is I want to show you the transition from Elijah to Elisha. It's fascinating. Uh, I think there's a lot for us to learn and to apply to our lives and our situation, okay? So it starts with 1 Kings 19, verse 19. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. This is the beginning of the transition. It's a little weird, right? It's a, it's a weird way to do it. Elijah walks up and he's like, you want my jacket? He <laughs> just throw, throws it at him, I guess. But, but that's how they did it. Elijah was transitioning out. Elijah was transitioning in. Uh, and then the two of them, what do you think happens next? Here's what happens next. The two of them go on a road trip. Elijah's like, bro, make a mixtape, get a bunch of snacks. I'm thinking Funyuns, 
Funyuns would be good. Get, get a bunch of caffeine, because we are going on a road trip. And I want to show you this road trip, and you're going to be like, what is happening here? It is filled, though, with spiritual significance. And I'll kind of walk you through it after we read it, and we'll see what that is, okay? So uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal to town. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. Uh, the group of prophets, there were other people who God anointed to speak from. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. So Elijah took Elisha to four different places. And I believe that these four places symbolize where God has taken us and where God wants to take us as we go through our time of transition. Uh, the first place was Gilgal. Remember it said Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. So the road trip begins in Gilgal, and Gilgal is a place of foundations uh, because some really important things had happened at Gilgal. Uh, last week, if you were here, you remember we saw that uh, finally it's after Moses dies that Joshua leads the Israelites in the promised land. Well, it was at Gilgal that they celebrated that by stacking these rocks as an altar of remembrance so that every time they saw it, they would remember what God had done for them, that they were finally home. They had made it. It's in uh, Joshua chapter 4. And then uh, later in their history, uh, after Absalom mounted this unsuccessful revolt against him, David was reaffirmed as the king of Israel in Gilgal in 2 Samuel 19. And then Jesus, on just the opposite side of the Jordan, just near Gilgal, was baptized. And when he was baptized, uh, God spoke audibly from heaven for everyone to hear. And he says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And I love that. God affirms Jesus' identity. At this point, Jesus has not done a single thing. He hasn't performed a miracle. He hasn't earned anything from God but he didn't need to, right? That's not what identity is about. Like, my kids didn't have to do anything to become my kids. They're my kids because they're my kids, right? And God was saying to Jesus, you are my son, I love you, I am pleased with you, and you haven't done a single thing for me yet. Listen, God would say the same 
to you. That is who you are. Who you are is whose you are. You are God's child. You are a daughter of God. You are a son of God. We are God's children. He loves us. And uh, we don't have to do anything to earn that. And we, we have learned that here together, right? We have learned together over the years who we are. That you are not who your parents said you are. You are not who the kids at school said you are. You, you are not what the world says you are. You are who God says you are. You are his. We are God's children. He loves us. That's your foundation. That, that's your identity, and your identity has got to be your foundation in life. It has to stay the foundation. And so Gilgal is a place of identity in the Father. Now, transitions, transitions always create temptations because transitions will test your identity because there's always a temptation for all of us to put our identity in something other than our Father. Um, like with us, and this happens in other ways out in your regular life, but with us here, uh, maybe you've been tempted over the years to, to kind of put your identity in verve, right? I, I'm a verver, right? Because we have a cool church and we do cool things together. We have cool shirts and, and so there's a temptation to do that. Or maybe there's been a temptation for you to put your identity in your pastor. You know, he, he might be the first guy who ever introduced you to Jesus. He might be the guy who helped you to understand grace and what it really means to have a relationship with God. He might be a guy who has this raw, unrelenting animal magnetism that is undeniable. And, and you, you just, you're tempted to put your identity in him. But none of that is your identity. Your identity is in your father. You are a son or a daughter of God. And every single other thing in your life can change, but that never changes. So, man, you, you just need to hold on to that. You need to make that your foundation. If we don't, we're in trouble. If we don't, then every change can feel threatening. Our identity is our foundation, and our identity is in our Father. The second uh, stop in their, their road trip is uh, in Bethel. Uh, Bethel, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 2, again, it says, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. Uh, Bethel is mentioned in over 60 verses in the Bible. It's uh, representing, it connects to 30 different prophecies and stories in the Bible. Uh, the word Bethel means house of God. Uh, it, it was a town, but the word Bethel literally means house of God. Bethel is home. In uh, Genesis chapter 12 and 13, Abraham builds this altar to God because it's the place where God spoke to him, and he wants to remember that. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob dreams of a stairway. He has this dream. He's literally sleeping. He has this dream of the stairway to heaven and that he and God are able to, to connect. And, and, and when he wakes up, he realizes that God's presence was there with him in Bethel, and he builds an altar to remember 
And then in Judges chapter 20, the Ark of the Covenant, some of you are like, oh, I've seen that movie. I know this one. Um, which the Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's presence was supposed to dwell inside of it. And so people would go to the Ark of the Covenant to meet with God, to talk to God, to ask questions of God. And the Ark of the Covenant was set in Bethel. Bethel. Bethel is home. It's the, the place where the father comes to speak to his children. It's like Gilgal is a place of identity in the father. Bethel is a place of intimacy with the Father. Bethel was a place of experiencing God's presence, of, uh, of experiencing belonging to God. We need that. Well, like we first need to understand our identity, and then that allows us to move into a place of intimacy with God. And, and maybe you've learned that here. Maybe you're like, I didn't know that. Like the first day I showed up, I remember I had no idea. I didn't know that. But, but you've experienced that here, like, like in this room. But we know that it's not about here. Our intimacy with God, experiencing um, his presence, experiencing intimacy with him, it, it can happen anywhere. It, it needs to happen everywhere. Bethel means house of God. But this building is not the house of God. No church building is the house of God. Some of you were taught the exact opposite of that, right? By like some Sunday school teacher, maybe your grandma, you had this sweet Christian grandma, and your grandma used to sit you down. Did anyone do this? And they, she said, put your hands like this, honey. And you did that, right? And she said, okay, honey, this is the church, and this is the steeple. Open it up, and there's all the people. That's a lie straight from hell. <laughs> Your grandma lied to you. You should have been like, Grandma, not today, Satan. Sorry, Grandma. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Because the truth is, this is a building. This is a steeple. You open it up, that's the church. That's the church. Uh, we're told that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 in the Bible. It says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God lives in you. Not you individually. He's saying all of you together. God lives in you. You're the church. You are in him, and he is in you. We are the house of God. We are the house of God. And that's what Verve has always been about, right? It is a, our church is about Jesus. And our church is about the spiritual family that Jesus brings together. Because God is in us. And that is not going to change when the transition happens. Right? It's just going to get bigger. I, I said this uh, two weeks ago that um, something that happens with families, we're, we're the family of God, something that happens with you know, regular families is they come together, right? Uh, it happens for most families. In fact, it's happening this spring for my family because my son's getting married. Uh, is that sad? It's a little sad because it's, it's always just been the four of us. We're used to just being the four of us. But, man, it's way more happy than it is sad. There, there's all kinds of joy because we're adding to our family. Like, we're, we're merging two families. What do you do when that happens? You celebrate, right? You, you have a wedding ceremony, and then you throw this big party. And church is family. That's what we are. 
family should stay together. And so, so yes, there's going to be a different name on the building in a couple weeks. And yes, there's going to be, you know, somebody else up here. It doesn't matter because it's never been about the name or the building. The people inside are the house of God. All right. The third stop in the road trip was Jericho. Second uh, Kings chapter 4, remember it said, Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. So they, they went to Gilgal where they found identity. They went to, to Bethel where they found intimacy. Now they go to Jericho, which is famous for a battle that was fought there. And um, it's actually kind of a pattern. If you read the Old Testament of the Bible about the Israelites who are God's people, you see this pattern um, over and over where it's like identity, intimacy, battle. You see it in Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus goes and he gets baptized and, and God affirms his identity and God declares that they have intimacy. And then the next thing Jesus does is he goes into the wilderness where he battles Satan for 40 days. Identity, intimacy, battle. I think that uh, it's a pattern that you should expect in your life as well. Um, you, you discover or you rediscover your identity in God, and you experience intimacy with God, battle. You go into battle. And it kind of makes sense because it, it's like your identity in God and your intimacy with God prepare you for battle. Right? It, it's what allows you to win the battle. But how? But how do you win those battles? So here's the key that we learn in Jericho. This is, this is a mind bender. You ready? Here's what we learn in, in, in Jericho. The enemy doesn't surrender, you do. The enemy doesn't surrender, you do. Typically, you think that the way you win a battle, the way you win a war, is you try to get your enemy to surrender. But when you have God on your side, you don't wait for the enemy to surrender. You surrender to God. See, Gilgal is a place of identity in the Father. And Bethel is a place of intimacy with the Father. And Jericho is a place of surrender to the Father. It's a place of surrender. What do I mean? Well, Jericho is the place uh, of battle. It's where your faith gets tested. Some of you might be there right now, so, something going on in your life, maybe this transition. It's like my, my faith is being tested. That's what happens with the Israelites. So the Israelites get to Jericho. They're, they're marching to the promised land, to their home that belongs to them. And Jericho has this impenetrable wall around it. And um, there, there's like no way. They get there and there's like, there's no way for us to get in. Like we have to, but we can't. It's impossible. We, we cannot overcome our enemies. But God gives them away. Check it out. Joshua chapter 6. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. Which pause. Joshua's like, no, you haven't. We can't get in there. This is impossible. Watch what God says. He says, you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you were to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. 
when you hear the priest give one long last blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. I'd be like, um, you got any other ideas? <laughs> you, got, you, must have, you must have another idea, right? Like, so, so let me get, so, so we're going to go for seven walks, and we're going we're gonna to put the priests out in front of the army, and, 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 and then the priests are going to toot, toot, and when, and when they toot, toot, we're, we're all going to yay, shout, and the walls are going to crumble down, and that's the plan? And God's like, yes, that is the plan. How do you, how do you picture it happening? How do, how do you picture it? Um, I, I, I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't give us details. I picture the priest, finally the, the moment comes, and they're like, and then all the people go, a little baby. And then psh, the walls come crumbling down. And then um, the, the people at Jericho cry out, the priest chops are too righteous. And it's just, a couple of you get me. A couple of you know, right? Yeah, you get me. Uh, and, and it's just craziness. The, the plan doesn't make much sense. It, it is not what the Israelites expected or how they would have done it. But God was like, just trust me. Just trust me. I'm going to fight this one for you. If you'll do it my way. Do it my way. And they do. It's crazy. But they trust him and it works. And it works. They experience victory because they surrendered to God. Instead of insisting on doing it their way, the way they wanted, they trusted and they surrendered to what God wanted and how he wanted to do it. Amen. So often that's how it goes with God. Like his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we need to trust him and we need to surrender. Surrender our will, our way, our plan, and choose to embrace him and his, his plan, his way. Like, uh, like with Verve. So I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, man, when, when we dreamed about Verve in the very beginning, we dreamed of having this time come when, when we would see hundreds of people get baptized every year. And when we would have a recovery ministry for hurting people. And now... Uh, we're becoming a campus of the crossing who had 444 baptisms last year, who have already had over 400 this year, who have a recovery ministry for hurting people. The things we dreamed about, we're going to have. Not exactly the way that we thought, but God's ways are not our ways. And we trust Him. And we surrender our will, our way, our plan. To him. We embrace him. We embrace his. And, uh, and that's how we get through this. And that's how we win. The fourth stop, the last stop in this journey is the Jordan River. Um, 2 Kings verse 6, remember, said, Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me into the Jordan. And he replied, Surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on. In the Bible, the Jordan River is a place of miracles. 
So like in Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites have to cross over the Jordan to get to the promised land. Problem. The Jordan River was at flood stage. I mean, it was flooding. There's no way to get across. I mean, it's like, finally, after 400 years of slavery in Egypt and 40 years of wandering in the desert, finally it's time, but now the the water is so high, we, we can't do it. It's literally the worst case scenario, except that God does a miracle parts the waters, and the Israelites walk through on dry land. In 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, Elijah tells Naaman to dip seven times in the Jordan River, and he'll be healed of his leprosy, which was impossible back then. And he does, and he is. The next chapter, 2 Kings chapter 6, Elijah miraculously makes this axe head float to the surface of the Jordan River. And it's in Mark chapter 1, in the Jordan River that Jesus is baptized and the skies miraculously open and God speaks audibly from heaven. See, Gilgal is a place of, uh, of identity in the Father and Bethel is a place of intimacy with the Father. Jericho is a place of surrender to the Father and the Jordan River is a place of breakthrough by the Father. It's a place of breakthrough. God gives you breakthrough. And God will give you. And God will give us breakthrough. Here's the problem. Sometimes I think we want the Jordan miracles without the Jericho surrenders. We want the Jordan miracles without the Jericho surrenders. But it's when we surrender our way to God's way, our plan to his plan, that we get to experience breakthrough. God gives breakthrough. In fact, it's when Elijah and Elisha cross over the Jordan that Elijah gets the double portion of his power, which is what enables him to do all the amazing miracles he ends up doing. And if you were there, it felt so sad. It had to. It's like Elijah is leaving. You can read that, right, in the story, like when all these other prophets come to Elijah and they're like, do you know that your master's leaving? And he's like, don't even mention it. Don't talk about it because it's so sad. But it felt like the future was going to be lesser. Without him, it was actually greater. And in in a few weeks, we will have a different name on the door, a different person up here teaching you God's word. It feels sad because it is sad. It's sad. But because of God, the future is not lesser. It's greater. That's my prayer. Um, It's been my prayer. It's my prayer today is that God would give us a double portion. He he would give us greater. We're going to pray for that together. But before we do, just briefly, I want to bring up David Deers. Uh, David is going to be the campus pastor uh, of our location. And so in a couple weeks, he, along with Margaret, who if you've been coming here for any length of time, you know Margaret. She's been on staff for years. Uh, They're going to be leading this campus together. Uh, David is amazing. When I heard that he was going to be the campus pastor, I was like, oh, man, that is so cool. I've known of David for years. I've known his wife for years. And come on out. Um, In fact, we should welcome him. Um, And so when... um, when I heard it was going to be David, I was like, oh, that's awesome. What a, what a great choice they made. And, uh, and then we've been meeting. We've met several times, like just working through this transition. And we keep meeting at Starbucks. 
and neither of us drink coffee. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird thing. And so um, I, I just want to bring David up here. You guys are going to love him as you get to know him. Uh, he will be in the lobby after the service if you want to at least introduce yourself. I'm sure you can't remember everybody's names right away, but at least get that started. Um, but I also wanted to pray for David. Uh, is there anything you wanted to say before we do that? Yeah, and, and first of all, thank you. Uh, as I was trying to figure out how to do this pastor thing, you think, where do we meet? Well, I guess pastors meet at Starbucks, <laughs> only to find out that's not the place. Uh, you know, Vince, since we've been meeting, uh, my ask of you is I wouldn't take this position without your blessing. And so thank you for the invitation to be here and to receive your blessing and, and prayer over me. And, and as you're talking about this transition here, I can't help but think of the work that God invited Elijah to do. God was doing a work in Israel and he brought his servant, Elijah, to join him in that, in that work that he was doing. God has brought Vince here 14 years ago to join the work that he was doing in this city. And, and he used Vince to, to give a vision and understanding of how this church was going to form and join that work that God was doing. And I, I, I look, Vince, and, and you've got 29 years of ministry, and... I got zero. You're, you're a pastor. I'm an engineer from small town Minnesota. Um, you've got big shoes to fill, and I, I can't fill them, but I'm humbled and I'm honored to give an opportunity to do something like that. And, and, and uh, Vix, your sexy physique, I don't have. You don't. I'll work on that <laughs> over time. I'll figure that part of it out. I'll help you. I, I appreciate you. that. I got, I got some workout plans and sure special diets I do. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> but this we do have in common. We love Jesus. That's right. And, and we're both been grateful that God um, has chosen to use us in ways that we don't deserve. He's changed our lives. He's transformed our lives. And now I get to join you in that plan that he brought all of you on to do his work and his will in the city. And um, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm humbled. I'm honored to be able to join you in that journey that he gave Vince a vision of years ago to do this church. Yeah. And so um, I just thank you for the thank opportunity you. to be That's here. Awesome. And I, I just ask all of you, the, the word that you shared, Vince, when, in that battle that God said, just trust me. Just trust me. And I think that's going to be a crisis of faith that all of us are going to go through, that just trust me, just trust me, and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus for yeah. that. So yeah. thank you. Thanks. And he, he says he has no ministry experience. He has tons, uh, and you'll get to hear his stories. He's been in uh, mission work in Belgium and helped start a church in Minnesota and done a lot of things. And so um, he's been in corporate America while he was doing those things. And so, um, yeah. So, hey, let's pray uh, for David. I'm going to pray for all of us. And then I got just a couple of quick announcements and we'll send you out of here. So let's pray. God, um, I just want to thank you for all that you've done at Verve these last 13 or so years. Um, I, don't, I don't know if technically we would call those miracles, but it's felt that way to me. Uh, we've just seen so many lives change. We've been able to make um, such a great impact on our city together. And it's just been, you know, it's obvious that it's God. You've the one, been the one who's done it, not any of us. We're thankful. God, my prayer for our future is double. Um, Elijah was bold enough to ask for that. We want to ask for that. 
So I want to pray for David, God, as you um, bring him in here. And I'm sure you know, he's nervous. He's having to meet all these people and, you know, people who are sad. And um, God, I just pray that you'd fill him with your comfort, your energy, your focus, your vision, um, that he would keep his eyes on you and that you would just make him feel incredibly welcomed by the people of this church. God, I want to pray for our whole spiritual family here. Um, you know, we, we've gone through lots of things together, highs and lows, victories and, and um, difficulties, and you've been with us through it all. You'll be with us through this. And, um, and so what we are asking for is double. Uh, what we're believing is greater. God, would you do that? And would you get all the credit and all the glory for that, God? Um, we pray, God, that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Let's hear it for Dave. Hey. So we end every service the same way. We shout this phrase, viva la verve. The word verve, it means um, enthusiastic, passionate life. If you look it up in the dictionary, the second definition says the life from which art emanates. So it's, it's like when you see somebody who's living such an amazing life, you're like, I got to write a poem. Like, I, I want to write a song about this person. Like, look at their life. And, and so we said, man, let, let's, let's get together and try to see if God can use us in that way that, that we live enthusiastic, passionate lives. And maybe people would notice and write some poems about us or something. I don't know. And so we shout Viva the Verve saying, hey, let's go out and actually live that life, right? Not just come here and talk about it, but go live it. So thanks for being here. Make sure you're here next week. Get your teenagers here tonight. Until then, and as always... Viva the birds! See you guys.